you must continue your craft when the cameras are off and the office is closed. And if you do, you'll be more than prepared for any sort of challenge that comes your way. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt. Joining me on The Dirt today is our first international guest, an American expat now living in Costa Rica. His operational background and his strong desire to serve others and build high-performing team are what really drive his purpose in this experience that we call life. In today's discussion, we're going to go real deep on how he started a company from scratch abroad and a few unique sales techniques that he has perfected over the years training more than 10,000 sellers and dissecting nearly a million sales calls. Founder and CEO of CRCC, Richard Blank. Welcome to The Dirt. Great to be here today, Jim. Thank you so much for having me as your guest and sharing ideas with you and your audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I gave a pretty surface level version of your background. And as everyone knows, we kind of dig beneath the surface here on The Dirt. So, what is CRCC and what made you decide to start the company abroad in Costa Rica? Well, Costa Rica's call center. We're celebrating our 14th year. We're a bilingual, dedicated, nearshore business process outsourcing call center. We work with mainly clients in the United States, Canada, locally in Costa Rica and some of Europe. And once again, I'm dealing with some incredible bilingual agents here that do some of the most superior customer support that's out there. But My story begins back in Northeast Philadelphia when I graduated Abington High School. I decided to be a Spanish major in college. That was my favorite class in high school. So I doubled down on languages. I studied Spanish and communication. And when I had an opportunity at 27 to move to Costa Rica for just a couple months to work in my friend's call center, you and I realized that there's a one in a million opportunity and I decided to take it. And after working with my friend for a couple of years, I learned the business from the inside and out. And in my mid-30s, I was mature enough, had impulse control and some cash. I decided to throw my hat in the ring, and here we are today. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, so many founders you know, go through that bootstrap element, right? Like, when is the right time that I can start a business? How do I do it? And you know, what's really unique about uh, what you've gone through is your decision was, let's do it abroad. <laughs> Uh, what, what drove that? Like what drove the decision to say, Hey, you know, forget the U S I'm going all the way to Costa Rica. My good friend, if you can get past your parents guilt, you can live anywhere in the world. So that's number one. Number two, I just didn't jump into this. I, I loved Spanish. And so I spent my junior year abroad in Spain. So I had to master the language. I interned for Telemundo during college and got a job for the importers of Corona post-grad. So once again, I was prepared and moving abroad, it was just once again, an incredible opportunity. And I was going into a friend's call center to teach English. So there was a lot of less pressure, but Mm -hmm. I never really saw the inside of a call center before. What you see in the movies and 
calls you get at dinner, that really doesn't represent the majority of the industry. But I saw bilingual agents getting a return on investment of their education. I also saw the art of speech because you and I spoke prior to this phone call that a lot of companies today are preferring omni-channel non-voice support, either through emails or chats, and the importance of a phone call. And so I saw the most incredible artists of speech that were conversing, converting, and getting very serious positive escalations and satisfaction scores from the clients. And I learned this from the inside and out, my friend. I didn't start off as a C-level exec. It's friends with the owner. But I was really sitting with thousands of agents, training thousands of agents. And I guess I learned what to do to enhance the experience. So after four years of really learning this business, I decided that I was prepared enough and mature enough to handle job stability, the responsibility of contracts and finances. And if I was ever going to throw my hat in the ring, this was my graduate school. This was the industry that I was almost made to take on. And it's very competitive. Most people burn out and don't last. So the fact that this gladiator not only survived the Coliseum, but grew to build my own Coliseum, it's really a testament. And so that's why I'm here today is just to maybe break some stereotypes that people may have in regards to moving abroad, being a telemarketer, a CEO, and even a call center. Uh, There's a lot of things that can be done to fulfill needs and feed families and do the right thing. That's great. Did it did it just all of a sudden hit you one day? Because, you know, obviously everyone's wondering, like, when do I start a business? Right. Or or did it, you know, just kind of gradually turn into this business plan that that you said, all right, now I'm ready. Great question. It, I was getting older. I was in my 30s and I understood that I knew what my earnings potential was. And I saw that the call center industry could be exceptionally lucrative. So don't kid yourself. I started my business out of my home. My website went up October 4th of 2007, landed my first account February 6th of 2008, just one seat, 50 hours. So what I did was I was renting a turnkey station at a blended open center where there was no privacy, but they had the security IT. It's just a glorified internet cafe. So I was able to pay the overhead, the taxes, the salaries and make a margin off of that. And after doing that for a couple of years and building it to dozens of agents, I had enough resources to then rent a space, buy the equipment, buy the furniture and build out a server room. I was there for about six years till I had enough money to then purchase and build a three floor building that can house 300 seats. And so it's slow and steady. Grandma told me if you can't do it in cash, you can't buy it. I saved enough acorns to weather any sort of winter. So there were a couple storms that I had to get through. And the most important thing, it wasn't about me, Jim. It was more about the job stability for these 150 agents that work with me, because obviously they take care of their family. And so that sort of responsibility I hold so sacred. So slow and steady, like the tortoise, not the hare, being very conservative, I enjoy myself. Obviously, I buy certain toys and I've gone out to sushi. But I also realize once again, by saving your money, you can give yourself peace of mind and be able to sleep at night. Yeah. So is it you've never brought on any outside investment? Is that is that part of what I'm hearing there? Have you bootstrapped to date? Absolutely not. I don't need a bad roommate. I don't need to pay (laughs) interest. I don't need banks giving me pressure. 
And as I said before, I don't need to prove anything. Unfortunately, I don't have a Rolex on my wrist. I could, (laughs) just don't want to today. And so I was really more focusing on the run, on seeing how far and long this could go. And then at the end of the day, then you count your chips and you see how many meals you can eat. But until that time comes, I was completely 100% invested in being successful in this. And it's not that tough to be a C-level executive. You do have leverage. I know a lot of people want the importance of the position, the parking spot, the office, and having everyone you know, be very nice to you. Uh-huh. But to me, really, my growth was about delegating responsibility. The only way that I could expand was to have faith in others and to give them certain uh, duties in order to grow a company and to increase in their own self-confidence and self-reliance. And so you almost have to set yourself free in a sense. You can't be so possessive. If you do, you will never grow. Yeah. Well, well said, Richard. And, you know, so you've got the business started, right? You've, um, you've got, you know, you've got yourself rolling, you got your first client and you're encountering, I'm sure, um, some low point while running a business, right? We've all hit a low point when running a business and, this show's all about those and how we overcome them. Um, was there any, you know, really memorable time that you can think of as you were just getting started new business abroad that was your true low point? Absolutely. The labor laws. I mean, I'm not from Costa Rica. I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> and so I realized that, you know, I popped my first account, landed a few more quickly, and then realized when I had a half a dozen agents, I was over my head. Because I was doing accounting, HR, you know, the contracts and, and marketing. And so my wife, Grace Bourbon, who was a top saleswoman for jewelry at the airport for Cafe Brit, she decided after three years of working for that company to resign and to work with me as the director of human resources and our legal representative to the Costa Rican government. So I realized I was way over my head and I needed some assistance. And also, since I am a guest in this country, I think it would be to my benefit have somebody from this country being able to speak for our company, not more properly, but once again, representing the common interests of the culture that they grew up in. And so for me, I was mainly focused on developing their English skills and making sure they were properly prepared when onboarding and doing a lot of quality control so I can coach and study their calls, increase their vocabulary so they're more diplomatic and strategic and try to reduce as much attrition as possible by having a gamification play culture so people can make friends and recharge the batteries. Yeah, yeah, here here you are, I believe, Costa Rica's um, front runner for man of owning as many pinball machines as possible in the country, is that that correct? And I lapped them three days ago, (laughs) and they're not (laughs) even close to me. Um, I am such an avid collector and one man's trash is another man's treasure. And a lot of the arcades that I grew up in, in the seventies and eighties, they just don't exist anymore. You have your Dave and Busters and these other unique places, but when you can really find an original asteroids machine or a pinball machine, I mean, it's, it's almost like seeing a celebrity. You just can't wait to play it and, and to see it. And so, as I mentioned before, a lot of people just have these machines sitting in their bodegas, their garages, and just there. And through just local contacts, the local market, or if I see things in the background of certain pictures on Facebook or or eBay, I will make a phone call and ask if they have something for sale. 
and I'll drive a couple hours. And next thing you know, I'm driving back in 1961 Ricola Regis that's in mint condition that all I need to do is just clean her up a bit and she's ready to go. But here's the problem. When I grab the jute boxes and they give me about a hundred records, you're thinking we're pulling out what some Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and CSN. I'll bet you a hundred bucks. You don't know a single name of any of these people <laughs> on there. Julio Iglesias isn't even there. These are some rock stars from the seventies from Central America. I've never heard of before. My agents love them. I got no clue. So awesome. I'm constantly switching them out with like my NXS and my other records and seeing what I could do. But um, it's a lot of fun. And you, you would enjoy treasure hunting with me down here. Yeah, that's incredible. I actually just came back from Europe. I was away for about a month and, um, it was uh, it was incredible to see some of the cultural um, jukeboxes out there <laughs> and and how I rarely knew uh, there was like a set. Of, there was at least a few songs in every single one that I knew. But some of the songs that I had never heard of that were that were so in tune with the local people there were just so much better than <laughs> anything that we could have put on. Was it, it was, digital uh, or was it the old machines that you it was the old machine? No, it was the old machines. It was yeah. There's there was one especially in in Mallorca, Spain, in Ooh. Old Town in Mallorca that was uh, just incredible. But anyways, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that another time. That could be a whole episode probably. Um, so I'm I'm sure um, the audience is is waiting for this question um, since it was in the intro, but. How the hell did you manage to train more than 10,000 sellers and dissect over a million or almost a million sales calls? I've been in this industry since August 15th of 2000 at my friend's call center. He had thousands of agents. So just being there for over four years, I I was able to train at least half that amount, 5,000 people. And then in the course of my 14 years in business, I've had so many people that were in this center. I've also been able to capture their calls. At a call center, we record every single call. So I don't sit back and listen to a million phone calls. What we do is we have a department that grades your calls on metrics and KPIs, key performance indicators. But I focus more on soft skills. I'd like to know how many times they use a name and a pronoun, positive escalation, clarification, rebuttals, and military alphabet, just simple things like that. Mm-hmm. But also, in addition to that, it gives me the greatest chance to increase somebody's skills because without self-analysis, um, there is no self-improvement. And a mirror is the perfect way for someone not to be able to spin it. I mean, look at our beards. They're perfect, right? Without a mirror, would be in big trouble. Well, yours is. So <laughs> when someone listens to their own voice, they'll look at me and they'll know if they're too fast, too slow, if they interrupted, if they missed their mark. And so it's such concentrated training that they're ramping up and their skill set just increases so fast that you really see these agents improving on a daily basis. But even more than that, since they learned English, as I learned Spanish, it's more than just your five hours of classroom a week. You had to have been watching movies, listening to music, reading, speaking, and living it. And so when I see this dedicated practice, You can tell when someone's been practicing violin. I can tell when an agent has been practicing their speech, not just their script from their accounts, literally learning additional vocabulary, grammar, and delivery. I'm in awe, and they know it. And all I try to do is just add to that sort of momentum. And so attrition, once again, is something that we try to reduce here by creating an environment where we know we're investing in them. 
So as long as I can not just train someone for a week and they bounce, but if someone's been with me for years, imagine that sort of training that you do on investment. And these are the ones that usually become supervisors, trainers, floor managers. And so once you pass along and pay it forward, these individuals, all they can do is just grow with the company. So connecting all these, you know, sales techniques, which I'm sure, you know, we're going to go through a couple here, but, and all the amazing, you know, sales tools that you've honed over the years. I think one thing that is, I see all the time in technology companies specifically, because that's, you know, largely my world is that they forget the art of the phone call, right? They're so focused on automating, so focused on leveraging technology and tools and and maybe email is the closest that they come until they, you know, really get in the middle of a heated sale in, in, in the middle of a heated sales cycle, right? Like something that's, you know, something that's going to, um, you know, be at the later stages of the sales cycle. They forget that sometimes on the early side of a sales cycle or just in general talking to people, there's those are some real arts to learn in just speaking <laughs> to people. And I feel like in many generations in, in general have just kind of lost the art of the phone call. So as you're as you're building your teams and as you're looking at your world and as you're obviously you know honing these sales techniques for not only yourself but them you know talk to me about some of the the things that the tools or the resources that you use and and how you're able to really get that training across the line and, and make them realize how important it is to master the art of the phone call wonderful let's let's first address speech to non-voice. I, I believe if you have a client on a phone call, Jim, it's very easy once again to retain that client. Mm-hmm. Also to get an upsell. Mm-hmm. There's a better chance of getting a referral. And in a mature business way, worst case scenario, an exit interview, you will find out areas in which you may have been able to improve or what your competition did in order to earn their business. So that's reducing that. A lot of people just aren't going to take the time to write that out. Now, if people are deciding to make a phone call, or let's just say you were also mentioning sending an email, let me address that as well. Take a little bit of extra time to do some due diligence to custom make it. Look at a LinkedIn or a website. And because just that extra 30 seconds, you can land an anniversary, uh, a promotion, something in a company culture. So it's not just an email template. You almost like Mad Libs back in the day. You can almost custom make what you're doing there to at least get their attention. You mentioned my machines. All someone needs to do is mention pinball. I'll read your entire email and I'll take your call. Those are the sort of keys to be able to get to the heart of certain CEOs. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say someone makes it, wants to make an outbound prospecting call. I'd love to be able to walk you through a couple steps. If somebody wants to make prospecting calls, I can teach this to you. And these are things that will not compromise ethics, values, or more. It's quite simple, but just follow me here for just a couple of minutes because I'm going to move real quick with your audience. I always believe that the average attention span, Jim, is between 30 seconds to two minutes. It's just like drinking, breathing, or eating. It's just a sort of rotation that we have. And also, in addition, every conversation has an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. Man, if you don't land the introduction, you don't even have a body and a conclusion. So let's just focus on setting yourself and getting in the game. And I'll get to the second stages later. Let's say I'm making a prospecting phone call and I'm calling the dirt. And all of a sudden the phone rings and Nick answers, who by the way, is your best assistant ever. I just have to give him a plug. He's incredible. So the phone rings, Nick answers the phone, goes, hi, it's the dirt, Nick speaking. 
the first thing I would do is use my anonymity. I'd say, hey, how's the dirt doing today? <laughs> and of course, Nick's doing well and the dirt's doing well. So he's going to say, we're doing great. Naturally, I said it better than he did. Used my anonymity, not for the whole call, that's shady, just in the beginning for your first impression. Then Nick is going to say to me, what is your name? And that's when we have our first buffer boomerang technique. Not saying Nick's tone is negative, but a lot of the times people will have a negative tone. For argument's sake, let's just say Nick's tone is a negative to negative. Hmm. And I would say, hey, Nick, that's an excellent question. My name is Richard Blank. Nick, so I captured it, I buffered it. I used the name drop. I said, that's an excellent question. Repeated the question for active listening and sent it back as a positive plus two. Nick, that's an excellent question. My name is Richard Blank. So he likes me. He's going to transfer the call over to you, Jim. So I'm going to say, before you transfer the call, Nick, I have to let you know, you did an excellent job and I'm going to let Jim know this. That's a positive escalation. I can give the gift. I give the momentum. He transfers the call. Hey, Jim, speaking the dirt. By the way, Jim, I just got to let you know, Nick is incredible. Oh, thank you. I know he's the best. Who are you? Hey, so glad that you asked, Jim. My name is Richard Blank. Hey, Richard Blank. Hey, Jim, how you doing? And then you're going to ask me a second boomerang. What do you do? And a lot of the times what people do is I call it desert pitching. Well, they'll talk for four or five minutes without an oasis. There's no resting or drinking. And so what happens is you have no reinforcement of where. So what I think everything should be done from your horizontal where you're giving your list, but taking your time and saying, do you like A, B, and wait for a reaction. And when you do, move it into a vertical and start stacking open-ended questions. Because I know what I know. I need to know what you know. So take your time when you're doing a list. You like A, figure out the other ones, and then stack it. During the call, there's a certain way that you can find out the phonetic micro-expression reading. Once again, we mentioned every 30 seconds to two minutes. People mention micro-expression reading, yes, but on the phone, we're losing three of our senses. We can't taste, touch, or smell. You can hear them, which should be expanded. You can't see them, but in my opinion, you do have image streaming. There is metaphysics there. You know, reading a book is better than a movie, so use your imagination. So let's get back to the phonetic micro-expression reading. Phonetics is broken down into four parts. You have your tone, rate, pitch, and duration. Your tone, which you and I have, is a consistent variable. It's always confident and empathetic. You're showing compassion. That should never change, okay? Now, people say, what about the mirror imaging technique? I heard about that in sales. Okay, why don't we mirror image how fast and how loud they're going, their rate and their pitch? Why do I do this? I need to match you because you will have a spike or you will have a dip every 30 seconds to two minutes. And in my opinion, that's the time to ask a tie down question, a pin down question, or even a clarification question. But still your tone rate and pitch could be manipulated. That's why I always believe that an answering speed is a subconscious tell sign. That will not be consistent. So use that as the backup for your tone rate and the pitch to see if you need, they might be facetious with you. So you might need a clarification question there. And so I also believe to not overdo the names. Use the name drop, Jim, when you're asking a a tie down question. The rest of the time, it should be a five to one pronoun to a name drop so you don't overkill the name. Your, 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 are, your. Right, Jim? I mean, it's just the greatest way to keep their conversation. 
So then we're in the conclusion of the phone call. And what I always like to say is, hey, since you still have me on the phone right now, I'm sure you like one of the other items that I mentioned earlier. I'm sure you still have another question, right? You're, you're raking. The first round is, I'm sure you like at least one. The second one is, since you have me on the phone, are there any more questions? You can continuously rake your list. And then you might be able to open and stack again. I like to verify things with a military alphabet. So instead of ending a call, we might be talking about Memorial Day or the people, how proud we are of people that have served. And also it's the cleanest form and you're doing L for Lima. I mean, a lot of people like that stuff. And then finally, when I write you, I'm also going to do uh, meeting minutes, but mention Nick as a written positive escalation. So I can do the Richard circle. And when I call the dirt back and Nick answers, hey, Nick, it's Richard. Richard, I can't thank you enough. Jim told me the other day what you said about me. Can't wait to transfer you. Oh, by the way, mention to Jim about his anniversary. I mean, they're going to be giving you a certain momentum. And so these are the sort of circles that you can do to build a pipeline, second, third, fourth contacts with company, positive escalations, verbal and written. You can micro expression read these people just to know when they're asking questions or when to listen. And then the final thing is the me too technique. A lot of people are working from home. You might hear a dog in the background. And my main thing is to let you know how much I love the dog, to let you know I hear your dog. But then the second thing is I'm going to ask the follow-up question, what's your dog's name? You're going to say Fluffy. I'm going to let you know how great Fluffy is. You get the hint. Fluffy goes outside. You come back to the call. And that's when I anchor you, Jim. That's that's usually when we talk about your dog for a minute. And then we pick up the selling again. And, and you know, it's funny. That's usually the part of the call when somebody says, excuse me, what was your name again? So glad that you asked, Jim. Once again, my name is Richard Blank. And then you're name dropping me the rest of the call. So don't be afraid to speak about yourself in third person to anchor in regards to a dog. Not to say, could you repeat that? Excuse me. It's for my clarification because your dog is barking. These are certain swords that you may fall on to be able to avoid any sort of conflicts and any sort of rabbit holes. And as long as you can control that conversation with that 30 seconds, two minutes and clarifications, you should have a good run and then very long phone calls that convert into sales. That's terrific. And there's a lot there. So we'll make sure to provide a few diagrams and and uh, and that you that you so kindly shared on the video, but we'll make sure to provide those as as attachments or links in, uh, Again, once, in you see it, too. once you see it, you can't unsee it and give it about three weeks. Yeah, then it becomes practice uh, habit and you don't need to practice it anymore. So we've got the buffer boomerang technique and the phonetic micro expression reading and sellers everywhere. Make sure you're listening. <laughs> Master your verbal escalation. That's the key, written and verbal. And if you do that, you'll be getting a lot of momentum. And even if you get passed around the company, just start writing names down. They'll love the fact you spoke to Johnny in the mailroom. (laughs) No one does, but you did. And once again, that's prior to a contract, how you work with them. They'll love you for it. And there might be some out there like trying to argue, well, I'm a relationship seller. All I focus on is the relationship. I don't need all these techniques, right? Well, Actually, these are consultative relationship building techniques that you should use in all of your relationships to make people feel good, not just when you're trying to sell them something, right? That would be, uh, that would be my counter to that. What makes me sad is, let's say, for an example, I call back and Nick's like, in the last five years I've been with this company, you're the first person to ever write about me. 
And so imagine how that separates you from thousands of people calling that company. Well, luckily, luckily I've gotten a lot of good compliments on Nick, who's been number number one employee for us. And, you know, you might be surprised to hear about this, but he's also from Philly. So that might be uh, my main be man. There. Yeah. <laughs> he gets extra points with me now. <laughs> That's there you great. Go. Well, Harrisburg, but but still close enough. He's a Philly, Philly Eagles fan. That's for sure. He'll let you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, t- tell me about prior to understanding and mastering all these techniques, you know, what roadblocks were you running into that, that you just, you know, other folks can learn from as they're thinking, well, you know, this is great for Richard. This is great for people who are really good at doing this type of stuff, but I can't do that. Right. Like, I don't know how to do that. What, what got you to know how to master these techniques? I was getting bored. It was monotonous. I was becoming plastic and commercialized and just flipping lists and doing my speech. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if you make every single phone call like a painting mm-hmm. and you can make it a unique experience, it would be great. But another thing I wanted to juggle with was vocabulary. So I really emphasized the thesaurus so you can expand on your similes and you can really once again properly express yourself with some killer vocabulary that really, you know, makes the moment. And for me, it wasn't really more of a manipulation. I was just seeing if I could ride this wave before I either get hung up on or someone says, stop calling. And I realized little by little calls were lasting longer and I was getting more business. And a lot of people were reading self-help books or they were finding shortcuts. And all I was doing was talking about Nick and your dog and and other things. And next thing you know, I'm on the phone for 10 minutes signing up contracts. And so they wanted to know what my secret was. And there really isn't any secret. It's, It's a lot of active listening. A lot of the times repeating what the people say so they don't have to repeat it to show that you understand it. Actually being sincerely interested in their life or in their home that they're selling or if they're moving or a new job or or their family and and maybe even relating a little bit about yourself where you can loosen your tie and and just talk for a second because i think when people are too stiff and they hedge they're hedging where a lot of their answers are okays and ums and ahs that's not a good answer you're 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 being lazy speech i think a lot of the time is more engagement it's a give and take. It's a beautiful dance of words. And as long as you can focus, and as I mentioned, 30 seconds to two minutes, because it's it's very difficult to focus for 20 minutes. But if you can take it round per round, your turn, my turn. And, and while someone is speaking, why don't you take advantage of the four and four technique, in four, hold four, out four, hold four with your breathing, because you're not speaking. It's going to lower. It's going to set you back. And it's going to prepare you. You'll get your nice little little degree in there. And these are the sort of things. I mean, boxers say that the number one thing is their breathing. It's mm. not the punching. In the, it, it's really their body in sync. And you don't want to overextend or not speak enough. And if you're cross-talking or interrupting, that's your fault. Because you still don't know their pattern or pace yet. And so if you look at it as an art, if you study on the television non-sight, listening to it without voices, just watching people and combine, or you're looking at other channels where let's say for me, Chinese, where I don't even understand the language at all. I can almost study 
they're right in their pitch and try to understand the core of phonetics and relationship building. So you're really paying attention and working that muscle memory. If you don't love it, you can't embrace it. You'll be bored with it. But if you practice speech and practice listening, expand your vocabulary and listen to old speeches, or even just watch certain contents where there is no aggression or, or vulgarity. And it's just real beautiful, clean speech. You might get a phrase out of it that you can borrow and use with your own delivery. Not saying you need to be original content, but there might be some people with some amazing verses that inspire you that might be appropriate to your own person and your own character. Cause I can't really speak Queens English but there have been some rhetoric that Basil Rathbone used to say, or the BBC that I will take and go, I have to use that. I mean, that's an amazing comeback. And so you should be constantly building on that craft. I love that. I mean, wise, 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 wise words there. One thing I'll just say, just to connect that again to the, to the world of tech, since most of our listeners are tech founders, you know, we've got these programs that are often instituted called SDR programs or BDR programs, sales development rep, business development rep, right? And in many companies, I've seen that role um, looked down on, right? Um, as if um, the the BDR or the SDR are, you know, because they're on the front end of the sales cycle and doing so much of the work, you know, this, this lower level role that, um, works for the salespeople, right? But in, in in high performing organizations, that role is a partner to the account executives, to the salespeople that they're working with on the middle and end of the sales cycle. And and when it works right, when it's predictable or programmatic, if you will, um, just as you're giving techniques here that are programmatic, it is an incredible thing to witness because you've got a team working in unison. You know, as as you are training people and 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 getting your roles run up and getting these these skills mastered in your world, are, is there any example like that that you have of you know teams finally being able to work together in unison and knowing that everyone is not a low level role; they are all meaningful roles in the company that allows for really high performing organization. Sure. You really are asking the best questions. And I got to give you credit. Excellent interview today. Well, you're giving the best I, answers. So there you go. <laughs> Here we go. I believe in synergy. I believe in the buddy technique. If you and I go to the gym together, you know, you and I are pumping out a couple more reps and putting on a couple more plates on, on the bar. Hmm. And so I've seen two things. With technology, I've been able to survive COVID because of virtual agents through the VPN, their system, fine, so be it. But when people are on site, there's a huge difference because this is a vocal community. And so when you're sitting next to someone that's on an amazing phone call, you're feeding off of that energy, you're listening to that call, they're pacing you to make your call. And so, as I mentioned before, you could almost see when you're looking at a, a, a floor of 200 people, there might be a quarter of them standing up that are just in a zone that are just pitching and talking and, and no one's teasing or laughing. It's not like the one kid that you're goofing on because they're trying too hard. No, each person is striving to get that sort of Zen, that sort of balance, that sort of rhythm. It's, it's one of the most amazing things ever. It's like a guy that can't miss a three point shot. I mean, someone sometimes is just so on that the other people see this, realize they've been there, me today, you tomorrow. 
and want to know when that person has done the call, they get rushed over. What did you just do? Where did you connect? And so when you see that, sort, and what, I'm not going to say, get back on the phone. You should be making a call. No, if someone rips it and everybody heard it, we should collectively listen to this person in their moment while they're still high and glowing, what they did. People take it back to the calls and moving it there. And so, as I say before, I don't want you to make a hundred calls a day. You should make about 91 because I want you to do a little more due diligence. I want to high five Jim when he gets off a call. I want to be able to collectively take a breather after you've done that call. You should put some water on your face and say, go on, champ, what'd you just do? And so it's eclectic. You, you, you just can't make it too much of a cookie cutter structure. These are artists. It's almost like someone that's commissioned to do a painting. That's someone that just paints on their own. I'm still paying you to do this job and you're doing a great job. But if you can still capture that sort of artist flair that got you into this in the first place, virtually or on site, you can still capture that magic and still be able to share that magic on the floor. It's not me. Mm. It's my individuals that can spread on the floor that have caught this wave and been able to grow. That's terrific. Well, one more question just on top of that as it relates to selling culture, right? Because you're a big culture guy, you're a big gamification guy, and you've built some great teams. Um, oftentimes, selling culture is, you know, you're not hitting your numbers, everyone's miserable, right? When, when your folks haven't hit their numbers or when you're struggling to hit the numbers or when you're working on a, you know, maybe not the highest performing team, is there an example where you've had that and you've needed to turn that into a high performing team? And, and if so, how did you instill that into the, into the sales culture? Sure. It's, it's actually quite simple. Once again, these people have invested their time with me as I have done with them. I will pull that call. I will have experts go through it and dissect that call. So it's very easy for this expert to see where they missed their mark. As I mentioned before, I might need to move the schematics of the floor to have that individual sitting next to a high performer. Might not be their best friend. I might be separating best friends, but this professional understands that it's time to take a squire Hmm. and to invest in them because people had invested in that individual. So a lot of it is personal responsibility. And I've been able, once again, to find the right seat for somebody. We're on the right bus. The question is the right seat, either on the account or possibly on another account. And so I just take someone's skill sets into consideration. We have many different campaigns here, many different verticals. So once again, if somebody showed me loyalty, commitment, and they're really dedicated to this place, Once again, they could be on offense, they could be defense or even a goalie. Where are they the best on the hockey team? And But I don't give up on them. I I just want to make sure that once again, we've exhausted all of our resources to see once again, if it's something on our end, the agents end, the clients end. A lot of the times the clients aren't sending the best list. Mm -hmm. I've had situations where their queue is backed up because we're sending in too many leads. Sometimes they don't follow up on their sales cycle. And sometimes they do. And so really a lot of it has to do with just walking backwards and dissecting the entire process because we could be doing something perfectly, but there might be something down the road that might not be converting that sale. And so I'm always trying to give my people the benefit of the doubt. There's never a walk of shame. I'm not going to go on the floor and say, Jim, what's going on in front of everybody? We, we just don't do things like that here. 
And if it does take somebody putting water on their face, taking a timeout, going to the game room, having some coffee, that's sometimes all it takes is for someone to reset and then to get back on the phone again. And so, uh, as I mentioned before, there's many different ways that we can hands-on work with the agent to be able to, once again, get them to focus. Because there could be something outside of the office, Jim, that affects them here. And so our goal collectively, you and I as business owners, is to make sure that we recharge their batteries. So if they do leave the office, they could confront any challenges, which then be affecting their work performance here. So what you just mentioned, my friend, I'd have to almost dissect it as well, just to see where the core area of focus that we have to have on that situation. Because they are humans after all, aren't they? Aren't we all? All day, my brother. And they deserve the dignity that they do. And they feed their families. Yeah. Which is huge for you and I. Yeah. And, and we're not looking to fire them. All we're looking to do is promote them. Indeed. Indeed. On, on that note, you know, listeners know as we start to close these out and this part of the show is, you know, kind of a series of five rapid fire questions in oh, yeah. under a minute that that uh, that we really love, <laughs> that, I, that I really love anyway. Um, I learned so much about the founders this way. And um, I think, you know, the first one is uh, is really important because it's about metrics. So what is the the number one metric or KPI that you're relentlessly focused on? Positive escalation, positive escalation. I want to make sure everyone is thanked, everyone is mentioned. That individual puts wind in our sails. What do you want me to repeat your email address? <laughs> you got to be, that's what I'm paying you to do. Yeah. I want you to make friends. I want you to get passed around the company. I want everyone to talk about you in the lunchroom. So when you call back, everyone knows you, first name basis. That's how you win. Well said. What is uh, the top tip for growth stage founders like yourself? It's to delegate. As I mentioned before, you need to have faith in individuals. Just don't hand it off to a hotshot superstar that walks in your office. I, I only promote from within. Somebody needs to earn their stripes. Somebody needs to earn the respect of the others in order to grow at a company. Awesome. What's the favorite book or podcast or just general piece of content that's helped you grow? You asked how interesting it was for me to move abroad as an expat. Well, when I lived in Spain in 1993, before I traveled for my Christmas break, I didn't go home. I traveled for two months. A very good friend of mine in Spain handed me a book, a 1933 Harvey Allen Anthony Adverse, 1,234 pages. I read it over Christmas break. And this was an adventure of a man in the 18th century that was a dreamer, that was a romantic, and also was an expat as well out of Italy. And so to me, I was almost living that 18th century life in a sense. Ha, very cool. Here's a fun one. What actor would play you in a movie? If I were English, I would have chosen Basil Rathbone. I wish I could have chosen Pierce Brosnan as Remington Steele, but I don't have an accent. So I have to choose a North American accent. It will be Templeton Peck, which was the face man, actor Dirk Benedict from the A-Team, and also Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. I would love for him to have played me in a movie. I'm going to need to Google that one. <laughs> he was the smoothest back in the day. All right. Last one in the Founder 5. What is going to be the title of your autobiography? If you can get past your parents' guilt, you can live anywhere in the world. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. 
Wow. <laughs> I feel that one. <laughs> All right. And, uh, you know, you've given us so much to our listeners today, Richard. So, you know, we always allow a time for just a little bit of self-promotion since you've been so giving for how others might help you. How can, how can those listening help you? Well, that's wonderful. As your audience sees, I have no uh, seminar or a book or anything to sell today. It was my friend and I spending time together and sharing ideas. And so if anything or nothing, you're just looking at a professional businessman that invests his time wisely today to put wind back in the dirt sales. But if anybody would like to get in touch with me, they can buy a plane ticket and fly to Costa Rica and come visit me. That's number one. If you want to give me a call, 888-271-6750, you can send me an email at CEO at Costa Rica's callcenter.com. But here's the best part. I got a huge Facebook fan page, 98,000 local Costa Rican Ticos, and it will really give you a pulse on the BPO industry here in Central America. They can't wait to meet you and the dirt. But also, if anyone's interested in learning about Costa Rica, we are north of Panama, south of Nicaragua the only democratic society in Central America. No standing army, so they put all of that money back into education. We have a 95% literacy rate. We have wow. the most neutral accent of Latin America, and we have some of the best eco-tourism in the world. People come down here for the waterfalls, beaches, and, and volcanoes, the monkeys, iguanas, and butterflies, and it's just a beautiful time. And, and I've had the best 22 years living here. And so, Anybody that wants to come visit, I have tons of suggestions for you. Terrific. I may be one of those. <laughs> we'll do our second podcast down here. Oh, man, that, that, would, uh, that would be a treat. <laughs> Just doing it in the rainforest, even, that would be incredible. <laughs> you would love it, man. Some people really lose themselves here. As I yeah. mentioned before, there are certain things in the United States, my friend, that people hold to such high esteem, and I'm cool with that. And I think it's great. But once I moved abroad, really, it was about shedding skin. All the things that were important in Philadelphia really didn't mean that much here. It was all about my essence and the fact that I could speak their language, keep an open mind for their tradition and cultures. I was very much embraced. And it's been such a positive reinforcement that once again, look what happened. This was a one in a million shot. And so if your audience wants to take the chance, I think a couple things, I think you need to go the distance. Number two, there's going to be some naysayers and gray believers out there, and that's fine. They usually love you. But as I say before, stay the course. And if I weren't true to my 18-year-old self that decided to invest my life in a second language, because all my friends couldn't compare notes, they were studying law and medicine. Who was doing what I was doing? So yeah. being a dreamer, my friend, sometimes you have to walk alone. And then my final thought is the dedicated practice. Your audience has no idea how hard you, Nick, and the rest of your organization do to not only build the dirt, but also your company. Same with me. We make it look easy. So I just want you to know you must continue your craft when the cameras are off and the office is closed. And if you do, you'll be more than prepared for any sort of challenge that comes your way. Well said, Richard. And thank you so much for everything you shared today. Can't wait to uh, visit you in Costa Rica. Can't wait either, my friend. Por vida. <laughs> Por vida. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in. 
to the dirt.